And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible podcasts like Entrepreneurs on Fire, hosted by John Lee Dumas. Entrepreneurs on Fire stokes inspiration and shares strategies to fire up your entrepreneurial journey and create the life you've always dreamed of. Listen to Entrepreneurs on Fire or Success Story wherever you listen to your podcasts. Today, my guest is Michelle Snoop Dillard. She is one of the highest profile and most prolific restaurateurs in all of Atlanta and the United States. She was a Detroit-born woman who went from teen mother to one of the most high-profile black entrepreneurs in the U.S. She is known as the owner of Crave Restaurant, Members Only, which is an exclusive VIP lounge that caters to celebrities, socialites, business owners, Escobar Restaurant and Tapas Lounge, and Escobar South. She started a joint venture with two chains when they opened Esco Seafood, as well as all the Escobar locations, which is a multi-level seafood restaurant. They've now franchised out all the Escobar brand. Uh, She is also a founder of Remedy Spa and Salon Suites. They have 22 fully licensed spas. They've opened three locations through Metro Atlanta. Also, they've opened that up for franchising opportunities. Uh, She had a tough time coming up. A kid very early on, serial entrepreneur, got screwed by a lot of her business partners. Uh, She's had to overcome a lot of prejudice to establish her businesses, but she is dominating the food, beverage, and nightlife scene. So we spoke about her origin story. We spoke about her coming from humble beginnings, uh, always being focused on entrepreneurship, graduating university, college, but never really understanding what she wanted to do in life starting a business, getting stolen from from a business partner, starting a business, getting uh, frauded and uh, stolen from again from a business partner until she, after several failures and, and a lot of lessons learned, which is great for young entrepreneurs, she finally started something that was successful, which then uh, she understood the formula for building out uh, vibes. She understood the formula for building out spaces, for building out community, and she's done that again and again and again with all the different businesses across all the different categories, not just restaurants and hospitality, but she's developed an app. Uh, she's gone into um, uh, credit repair. She helps other entrepreneurs understand how to take their idea and their product to market. She's gone to spas and salons. So she is an exceptional empire of a variety of businesses, uh, all built out of past failures, understandings, lessons learned. This is going to be an awesome interview for anybody who is just starting out to understand all the things that can go wrong, but then showing you the potential outcome of when you navigate those 
you keep your vision and your focus and you persevere and this is what the end result could be. So let's jump right into it. This is Michelle Snoop Dillard, one of the highest profile uh, restaurateurs in the United States. Um, so for me, the one thing that kind of pushed me into uh, the direction of wanting to be a business owner, I think, it, I, I'm not sure if it was just one thing. I think, honestly, I just was kind of like born with the hustle uh, because of my parents and their origins and where they come from growing up in Detroit. I used to always tell my mom that I was going to um, own a lot of businesses and take care of her when I got older. <laughs> I was from a young age. You're saying, you're yep. saying that to her. Okay. Okay. Yep. What did they, what did your parents do? What was like, what was the thing that made you want to do that for them? Uh, my dad, he actually was in the streets. He was a hustler. He was a, a drug dealer, um, but just on a very major scale. Um, and my mom, she lost her mother and sister at a young age, um, was kind of a, I'm not going to really say a orphan, but bouncing around from house to house at 15. And she, uh, ended up getting her uh, degree in nursing. Um, she's now a nurse practitioner and just has always been a really, really hard worker, someone I could look up to. Yeah, and I guess that that definitely, when you see people working their ass off like that, but like, you know, they're still they're still having a tough time. Like, they're not like, not mansion, not like really making tons of money. You respect that, but then you, you translate that into like any sort of entrepreneurial journey, that work ethic, and then that's like, that's a good basis for you. So talk to me about, talk to me about as you, you grew up, like you didn't have a, you know, dad who was in uh, like hustling, like selling drugs, it's not traditional, like, uh, you know, pathway into entrepreneurship. So where did you go? What, what did you do? What's the job? What's the thing that you started first? Like, what's the thing that sort of carved out your own career? So you didn't go in other directions. Right, right, right. So I went to Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I actually started there at the age of 16. Uh, graduated at 20. I had a degree in economics, but just like a lot of people that even when they go to college or major in something, I still totally did not know what I wanted to do with that degree when I graduated. Everyone, everyone. Um, it was like literally, you know, week after graduation, just kind of like applying for random jobs that required you to have a degree. You know, it's like, okay, well, yeah, I can do this or I can do that. A lot of my friends were going um, into graduate school. So, Vanderbilt is a top 20 school. A lot of them were either going to move on to like law school, medical school, et cetera. And kind of almost felt like not necessarily a failure, but that I was kind of behind the eight ball because that wasn't something that I was either A, interested in. Um, and then B, I already had a daughter. So I had a daughter that was four years old um, that I had to focus on taking care of. And so uh, for me, it was just like, man, you know, I did good enough to make it through, you know, the four years of college, you know, uh, uh, trying to get any type of master's or, you know, JD degree in law or anything like that um, is not going to be realistic for me. So what can I do um, and make a decent living and go from there? Of course, I always knew that I wanted to be a business owner, but it's not something that you can just jump off the porch doing. Um, and so what I ended up doing was getting into financial advising. So I became a financial advisor for Ameripress Financial Advisors, um, formerly known as American Express Financial Advisors. Um, started working for them there in Nashville. Um, 
really, really enjoyed that. They decided to close their office. And by way of doing that, I actually just got to meet a lot of people in different careers and help, <clears throat> excuse me, help them plan out their finances, their retirement plans, et cetera. And so it showed me, um, it showed me that it, it doesn't necessarily matter how much money you make. It's what you do with it. Um, you know, I was sitting down with doctors that, you know, maybe had 20 grand to their name um, and then would in turn sit down with a teacher who had 200,000, you know, that she had, you know, hustled to save up and made good decisions and, and things of that nature. So um, I believe that that was a good foundation for me because number one, um, it taught me that you can't judge a book by its cover just because somebody is in a lucrative career or field. It doesn't mean that um, they're wealthy or that they're doing the right things with their money um, and their finances. Um, and then two, it just really taught me how to save and put money up for a rainy day. Um, it gave me a lot of knowledge about the stock market and how to, <clears throat> excuse me, how to start investing. Um, and I think that that was a good cornerstone to have, a good foundation to have. Um, as I eventually moved into entrepreneurship, uh, shortly after that, uh, I, I, you know, also was able to meet a lot of different individuals in that career that were very driven, um, investment wise. So, um, I met somebody who encouraged me to get into real estate investing. So, uh, started that very young. I actually bought my first home when I was 21, um, and continued to buy several homes after that, um, up into the 2008, you know, uh, real estate stock market crash, um, which was pretty significant to a lot of people at that time. Um, and during that time is when I actually, uh, kind of found my, uh, entrepreneur, you know, way. Um, and I started, you know, one of my first businesses, um, shortly after that, which was a newspaper that I did. Um, and it, I ended up doing that all throughout the southeastern part, you know, of the country. Um, and it wasn't something that was just like super, super financially lucrative, but um, it taught me how to run a business. It taught me how to manage employees. Um, and it taught me how to look out for different things because I, I actually ended up going through, you know, some betrayal in that business from some of my staff and different things of that nature. So, um, so I want to, I want to understand some of the first things that you learned, like going into entrepreneurship, but also like you come from a financial advisor background, you put money into real estate, um, very, very safe. Like you're, you're thinking about safe and security and you're trying to figure out, like you've seen all these people screw, screw themselves over by spending their money in stupid places. Mm -hmm. Um, but then you go into entrepreneurship with it, which is like one of the riskiest things you could ever do. Like, I mean, if you throw money into a, a non-profitable, non-cash flow generating business, I can totally screw you. you lose a lot of money there. So right. what, what made you want to, was it just because like the recession and you're like, you know what, like it's now or never, like I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bet on myself. I'm going to risk, uh, you know, the, the money that I have saved. Was that the m mindset or why did you, why did you not just, you know, navigate the recession, buy more homes, do more I safe stuff? Yeah, I think it's just how I am. You know, uh, for one, it wasn't a good time to buy more homes because, you know, the real estate market was crashing and it was hard to get loans at the time. The One of the reasons why the real estate market crashed in 2008 um, was just not due to the recession, but also because of the loan industry, the, the lending industry and how they were just kind of lending money to any and everybody. I mean, at that time, 
uh, before that happened, I was buying like two houses a month. <laughs> I was just like, okay, well, That's before one, one hits my credit report, I'm going to buy, you know, a couple more at the same time. So kind of finagling the system. Um, but for me, uh, the reason why I didn't kind of stay into it, I think just um, I've always kind of had two sides to me. So kind of this professional side. Um, and then I guess more so like this alter ego of Snoop that's um, kind of drawn to like, you know, the entertainment industry and nightlife and things of that nature. So um, I felt like that that was a good time and was kind of being pushed into it. You know, back then, a lot of people didn't really understand that when you're in a bear, a bear market, um, that it's still a good time to invest into the stock market. You're basically buying stocks that are on sale. Uh, but, you know, a lot of the clients that I had, they were really scared to continue investing. Um, it was hard to um, continue to, to, to try to invest, you know, to try to convince new people um, to invest. So um, the financial uh, advising industry had just kind of slowed up a little bit for me. It wasn't exciting for me. Um, and I think that that's what kind of led me to try my hand at some different things. And so um, I really went from one spectrum, one spectrum to the whole other end of the other spectrum. So I was doing, you know, the, the real estate, the financial advising, and I ended up saying, hey, I'm actually going to do a, a, a calendar <laughs> with 12 models in Nashville, Tennessee. And so um, that was what I did. You know, that's what I did in 2008. And um, you know, as, as, as juvenile as it may sound, that ended up opening up the doors to the nightlife and hospitality industry that um, I'm currently in today that has made me very successful. 100%. Um, we're going to go into that for sure. I want to go there yet, though. I want to understand the the stuff that you had to deal with, like the, the people that betrayed you, the, the things that screwed you over, like the, the, the things that you go into entrepreneurship and like shit hits the fan. What were those things? How can you avoid them? Like you're going into entrepreneurship for the first time ever. I think that's like incredibly valuable. So what, what happened? Like you had some stuff that was successful, obviously not as successful as you are now when you, mm -hmm. when you started to go into entrepreneurship, but what are the bad things that happened? What are the things people should look out for? Um, yeah, sure. So when I did my newspaper company, so that, that was a, uh, it was, it was a mugshot newspaper. So back in the day, they used to have these mugshot newspapers that would come out once a week publications that would have pictures of people that had been arrested the week before. Um, and it was kind of like a guilty pleasure for most people, you know, sitting up, uh, laughing at or partaking in someone else's misfortune, you know, of their mistakes. <laughs> and, um, it, it, it honestly wasn't even something that I was proud to be doing. Um, it was a, a something that I viewed as a good business idea. Um, there was another paper that I had seen in, um, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So back at the time, I'm still living and working in Nashville. Um, I had seen this paper in Chattanooga, Tennessee, me and a couple of my coworkers. And um, they convinced me that this would be a good idea for something for us to do in Nashville. I was all on board. It was me and two other guys. Uh, one of the guys, he ended up moving back home. He was kind of having some financial issues. And so it just left me and this other guy named Andre to do it together. He was from Detroit as well. And a little bit after, you know, we got started and, and kind of kicked everything off. And I actually paid the majority of the expenses to get the business going. Um, and shortly after, you know, we kicked everything off, uh, he starts stealing, you know, from the company. So, um, of course, we were supposed to be, uh, we would place newspapers in various gas stations and convenience stores. 
and they would pay us on consignment. So we would go back. Um, let's say the paper was being sold for a dollar. We may give them like 20 cents per copy, you know. So we would go and pick up, you know, the papers from, you know, all of the stores that were carrying them. Maybe we would split the route, you know. So he's picking up from a certain amount of stores. I'm picking up from a certain amount of stores. Well, his money was always off. Um, it got to the point, you know, he he had me locked out of the bank account. Um, he had like changed the uh, passwords to the online banking um, and was just being very facetious. And, you know, I had one conversation with him bringing this stuff to his attention. And uh, of course, it was just always some excuse, you know, some elaborate um, excuse as to why, you know, this happened or why that happened. And so um, it eventually got to the point, I mean, we had only had this company, we had only been in business or maybe had did maybe four editions of this weekly publication. And so these things just kind of carried on. They got to, to being magnified and, and he got to doing just more and more uh, facetious he was like things. stealing from day one. He just didn't basically get stealing yeah. from day one. Yep. And so, um, you know, it just kind of got to the point where I was just like, man, you know what? Forget this, you know, like I'm going to let you have it, you know? Um, and it was a company that I fully started with them. I paid most of the money for the company to get started. Um, at the time, once again, you know, um, I was, I was raising my daughter. So I had a lot to think about. I couldn't really afford to take a lot of you know, losses. And, you know, I told him, I'm like, man, you know, I'm a single mom and everything. And, you know, you're sitting up here stealing from the business. And so anyways, I ended up just walking away from the company. Like I've always been the type of person that like, um, peace of mind to me means more than anything means more than any dollar. Like I'd rather not be super stressed or, or not have peace in my life. Um, than to, you know, be running something that's, you know, profitable or, or at that time didn't even know how profitable it would be. And so um, at that time, it's just like, you know, I don't have a job. I no longer have this company that I've uh, invested most of my savings into. And it's like, you know, what do I do now? And so back then, I didn't really know about suing people and all those things. And what really could, you know, a lot of times it's nothing you really can sue for. You know, the company really wasn't valued at much. Um, yeah. I could have had my investment out of it, maybe, but I probably would have spent more on an attorney and doing so. So I just said I would let him have it. And that's what I did. And I went and I started another, a different newspaper in Knoxville, Tennessee. So instead of working right there locally out of my city, now I'm driving to Knoxville every single week to put out a publication there um, and, and trying to do the same thing there. And I think Knoxville, I think maybe it was about a two hour drive, you know, from Nashville, roughly two and some change or something like that. So, um, I ended up starting my own paper there in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, I hired a, a, a guy at the time, this guy named Jeff. He was like much older than me. Kind of, I kind of looked at him as like a, not even necessarily like a father figure, but maybe like an uncle or something like that, just because he was older. You know, after we would finish working, we would go out to eat and talk and share life stories and things of that nature. And so um, this guy helped me. Um, to build my my publication business up. And so we ended up having editions in Knoxville, um, Western Kentucky, Louisville, um, Bowling Green, Kentucky. Um, and I eventually um, ended up expanding to Atlanta um, and also to St. Petersburg, Florida, once I moved to Atlanta. So um, I probably had the publication going maybe for about a couple of years. Um, before I decided that I wanted to move to Atlanta, Georgia. And 
uh, pretty much, you know, the transition from Nashville to Atlanta was just, you know, better quality of life, um, better dating pool, <laughs> just, you know, yeah. larger city, more Bigger going city, on. Yeah. Right, exactly. So um, when I moved to Atlanta, I kind of wanted to be a little bit more hands off with the business. You know, I felt like I had um, got the company where I wanted to be. You know, I was excited to be in a new city. Um, to meet new people, to discover, you know, some of the things that Atlanta had to offer. Um, and so I was pretty much allowing Jeff, um, I had given him a raise and I was kind of allowing him to run the company at that point. And um, one of the biggest mistakes that I made uh, was doing that because what eventually ended up happening, it, happening is about six months after I moved to Atlanta, um, I was actually speaking with, you know, some of my staff members um, in Knoxville. And so Knoxville, of course, is our base. It's our hub. It's where everything started. It's where our, our um, the person, the graphic designer that's laying out the paper where he lives, you know what I mean? Um, and, and a lot of the, the other um, officers, you know, of the company, you know, right there in Knoxville. So any, anyways, about six or seven months after I moved to Atlanta, um, there was one particular week where like starting on Monday, everybody just starts quitting on me. So um, the guy who lays out the newspaper, he quits on Monday. Um, come Tuesday, you know, the, the vice president, you know, of the company or assistant, you know, manager, you know, whatever we want to term him at the at whatever he was termed at the time, he quits. Um, so then we start having a lot of our drivers, you know, they start quitting. And so it's just like, okay, now this is ridiculous. And so I'm talking to Jeff about what's going on and he's just like you know i don't know you know these guys are crazy but don't worry i'm gonna get them replaced whoopie woo and so then comes friday and then he quits you know and so it's just like what the fuck is going on you know <laughs> so um that following monday i go to knoxville because at this point you know i've got to work the, the the company from every angle so the first thing i need to do is go to the stores and collect, you know, so I can get my money, which is what the delivery drivers normally were doing. So the very first store I go to, um, the very first store I go to, um, I go to, you know, the counter to, you know, collect my papers that haven't sold. And there's another paper exactly like mine sitting there next to, uh, next to my stack of papers. And but it's just named something different, and the name of the paper is something that Jeff had always wanted me to change the name wow. of my paper to. So essentially, you know, he pretty much had just stole, you know, the everything the from right up under me. You know what I mean? Um, and sure. all of my staff was now working for him. And you know, when you're, you know, when you're hands off and you've got somebody that's running a business for you. You know, essentially, they're building a relationship with him, you know, um, and they're looking at him as the go-to or as their boss. You know, I'm not, you know, important. The loyalty is not to me. Some of them had never even met me, you know what I mean? Um, but anyways, um, at that point, you know, um, I kind of, and I mean, I was devastated. I was crying. My feelings were so hurt. You know, I was distraught. <laughs> Um, and you know, I, I was going around to all of the different stores, you know, collecting and, you know, by the end of the day, um, I knew that I had no choice, but to just fold the company because number one, it also was something that I was no longer passionate about. You know, I probably was only making maybe about 50 to $60,000 a year, um, with this, this business. So, um, 
wasn't a lot of money, but I also didn't really have to work much, you know, I probably worked one or two days a week, you know, so I really was just, you know, comfortable and content. Um, And living in Nashville, Tennessee, that was a decent amount of money. Living in Atlanta, no, it's not. (laughs) You know, some people may spend that just on entertainment a year. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, you know, for that reason... Um, and then secondly, I knew that there was no reason, no way that I would be able to compete with Jeff because he lived right there in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, and I did not. So I ended up closing the Knoxville branch and kind of shortly closed some of the other ones and decided, all right, it's time for me to, to get into something else, you know. And I would say probably at, at probably at three different points in my life, you know, I've had to um, – get out of what I was doing and, and, and reinvent the wheel, you know what I mean? Um, lost it and had to get it all back. You know? I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. 
They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Because at that point, I probably was down to like my last $1,000 and really did not know what I was going to do. You know, I was about 25, 26 at the time and um, really didn't know what I was going to do. I honestly, I started, you know, I started a little t-shirt company. Um, I was, I had a girlfriend at the time who owned a boutique. I was had me and my daughter selling smoothies in her boutique. My daughter's outside selling waters. I mean, just like really everything like rut hustling, you know what I mean? Just trying to like 
put food on the table, you know, and, and keep, you know, the rent paid and things of that nature. So um, started doing that. And then um, I had also, you know, at the time I, I, I had one house that I was flipping. And before I got down to like my last like hundred bucks, this house ended up selling. And I really didn't make a lot of money from it at all, but I was at least able to get back what I had put into it. Um, and give me, you know, some cash because, you know, real estate investments are good, but they're not liquid um, unless you actually sell, you know, the property. And so that property sold um, and I was able to get, you know, a decent amount of money from that. And that was when I started my party bus company at that point. That's amazing. How, OK, so as you as you build out now, like now you have like you have an empire you built out. But how did how did you get over the fact you've been screwed like multiple times now? <laughs> you know what? I still get screwed every day on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, like, um, and I think it's good to take some of those losses early um, yeah. because it teaches you the signs of what to look for. Um, you know, your feelings don't get hurt as much when things happen. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just a part of it. You know, I don't think I know any body that's successful or any business owner that has not been screwed over so um nothing is going to make me so special to be the first one who hasn't <laughs> i just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode hubspot now if you want to organize your business you need a crm if you actually want to grow your business you need hubspot crm with HubSpot, your sales, marketing, customer service, and ops teams will have access to all the same dynamically updated data so they won't get their wires crossed on where a customer is in their journey or how to convert them. Plus, HubSpot CRM is easy to buy and easy to use, so you don't have to waste valuable time onboarding your teams or managing software, and you start seeing value right away. Learn how HubSpot can help your business grow better in 2023 and get a special offer of 20% off on eligible plans at HubSpot.com slash successpod. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. Okay, so now you're moving, you're starting to move into nightlife and the hospitality. So yep. you've jumped into like newspaper, you jumped into real estate, you jumped into newspapers. I don't even know where I would start if I had to figure out like how to go into hospitality. So what are the steps that you figured out that you could actually yeah, be successful so at this? So for me, how I ended up getting into it, Scott, is remember I told you about that news, that, that calendar that I did. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, as juvenile as it may sound, you know, it was a calendar where I featured 12 different women. Well, after that, I started a model management company, you know, so, so for me, it was always how to get to the top and how to make the most money. All right. So it was producing a calendar and selling a calendar then. Okay. Well, I'm going to manage these models and I'm going to get them other gigs and make other money from that. All right. Then it's like, okay, with selling this calendar, how can I really get this calendar off? So I decided to have the models post nights at various different restaurants and lounges and nightclubs and they would sell the calendar um, to, to different guys, you know, that, that would come out, you know, to these bars and clubs. Well, as I'm in here, as I'm in the, the lounges and clubs and restaurants watching this being done, you know, I'm seeing how busy, you know, these venues are. And I'm like, hey, I want to be a bar owner. I want to be a club owner. I want to be a restaurant owner. This is where the money is. I'm just selling these little rinky-dink calendars. Yeah. Going home with a few hundred dollars, man, I wonder what this guy is making because it's 50 people in here. Or it's 100 people in here. So that is what inspired me um, to want to open up my own spot. And I actually opened up my own spot at the age of 24. Um, in That's Nashville. so young, though. 
That's yeah, super I didn't, young. I didn't know shit. It was a, a huge plus. <laughs> um, I was relying on other people to kind of teach me the game. They didn't. I didn't ha- get the right permits. Went ahead and opened up anyway. Grand opening, grand closing within two months. Lost my shit. whole entire investment. Yep. So, um, so when I moved to Atlanta, my thought was, man, I'm not getting back into that. That was such a nightmare. Um, I did so terrible. But I always thought, but it was fun, you know, for the, for the <laughs> two months that it was open. But, uh, man, I was terrible at this. I lost all this money, didn't know what I was doing. Um, but once I moved here and after I started that party bus company, I, I got back in, I got into promoting um, and just, you know, throwing parties at, you know, various lounges and things of that nature. And so then right again, I'm right back in these these lounges and these restaurants and it's like, making me curious as to what it would be like to be an owner. And so eventually said, you know what, I'm going to try this again. You know, I was young. I did it wrong the first time. Um, I learned some lessons from it. Let me try to try to take what I learned um, and turn that into something else. And so I ended up opening my first spot here in Atlanta. It was called the Hookah Hideaway and it was wildly successful. Um, Can I ask why though? Like, why was that one? Why was that one? wildly successful like why did why did there's so many damn restaurants and they're all they're all probably tough and the margins are tough like what makes that one successful what was the secret um that one i think number one i mean i gave that that spot my heart and soul i was there every single day for the first Hmm. two years you know so i think when you have an owner that's dedicated like that nobody is going to run your business the way that you would run it um, so I think that that played a big part of it to the location. It was just a really good location. Um, it was a super small spot. When I tell you, Scott, this place was not even bigger than, than, than 1,200 square feet. That's small. But the the good thing about it is that it allowed everybody to get to know everybody. So it was kind of like a cheers neighborhood bar. It would definitely put you in the mind of it. Like you didn't even have to know anybody to go there. You were going to meet tons of people. Uh, we were able to kind of create a patio. And I mean, literally in the summertime, this place was just like a block party every single weekend. Um, we were able to stay open after hours. We weren't necessarily supposed to, but we did. And we got away with it for five good years. Um, but um, and, and we had some great food. You know, I brought some stuff from some concepts from Nashville. As far as, you know, Nashville has its hot chicken. At the time, that had mm-hmm. not caught on nationally like it has now and so we were selling hot chicken there and that was a big hit um and i think also just you know the hands-on that i had with that location i hired every single person myself um and you know you you just can't beat that when you have a, a owner that is is running the spot themselves and willing to put in you know that grit and that time and i want to say i think i was probably about 28 when i opened that spot up and and that's the first time you ever were successful in uh, in hospitality, basically. So like now you're now you're realizing your dream. So so where does it go from there? So now you have one. Uh, you you found like this like community place, like this like little hole in the wall. But it's like it's you did a couple things that were obviously very good. You brought in good food. You created a vibe. Like I feel like where a lot of people miss the mark on hospitality is they feel like they can copy and paste that, but then the copy and pasted version is shit. And then it's right. not the same and it's a different crowd, different, but you've done it like repeatedly now. So what's, what's the formula you use to open the next one and the next one after that? 
Um, you know what? It's, you know, you, you said something that's so important, a vibe, you know, creating a good vibe, you know, good music, good decor, um, you know, people love spots with patios, you know, making sure that the food is good. The food has to be good. The customer service has to be good. And, you know, first and foremost, you've got to have a good location, you know, because you can have all of those things. But if you've got a shitty location that's hard to find or hard to get to or um, doesn't have any walk up traffic or it's got terrible parking, um, you know, because I've made those mistakes before, even after that, you know, in opening locations and and picking a bad location or just being so excited <laughs> um, to do something and, and, and just picking a location that, you know, did not have those things. So um, that's really a big thing. And then, you know, having those systems in place, you know, hiring good people, um, treating those people right, paying them well, um, and making sure that you stay on top of them. And so now for me, because of what I did learn, uh, working with Jeff with that newspaper, you know, I just never turn over any of my businesses and put them in someone's hands. There's always something that has to go through me, you know, um, and I never really just totally take my hands off of everything. I'm always looking at every single thing, all the numbers, all the bank accounts. Um, and the more businesses I have, the more time consuming it is. Um, and, yeah. you know, but I've learned now the difference in now of, of me in that first restaurant and being there every single day. At that point, I was working in the business. Now I've learned to heavily work on the business versus working in the business. Which is smart. But then how do you find those people that you can trust to work in the business for you? You know what? Um, with trust, you know, that's something that's built um, and earned. And, you know, I don't think anybody has the formula to be able to find people that you trust. You know, you just hire people um, and, you know, yeah. you give them the opportunity to, to cut their own necks. You know what I'm saying? And when they do that, um, you've got to move on. You've got to believe people when they show you who they are. Yeah. No, I think the one thing that I've seen, like, that is sort of a common thread, like, you know, you've, you've been screwed multiple times, which is never fun. But I think that the fact that you were screwed earlier on and, and you were, like, stolen from earlier on, I think that's probably what led to your success. Because then when you if you had one success and now the 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 risk is much bigger, right? The money you can lose is not just in the, the tens of thousands and the hundred thousands and the millions when people can screw you over oh, at this yeah, level. For so sure. now you're like, you're... For sure. You know what I mean? Like you, you're looking at people different. It's smart though. It's it's smart. So now, so what I've always, what I actually found very interesting is you do so many different things. So like you're in hospitality, but you also, and tell me if you're still working on these things well. So you have like a, a DHG university credit repair yep. at one point in your life, you built an app. I think in mm -hmm. 2015, you built an app called girl talk. Yep. You have an impact foundation. You have a spa, like you do everything, but now these things are like, quite successful mm. so you you like you're like you have like an entrepreneurial eye and you go into something and it works but i think a lot of it is like the vibe it's like the it's a unique experience that you create so as you're building out these things um talk to me even like it, it's interesting you work with two chains on on members only why work with two chains when you're already successful why do you need the star power what's the what's the play there is that something that you think would be useful or is that you see that a lot with brands, but I've never seen it with like a restaurant. No I stress. actually met two chains um, about uh, maybe about seven years ago now at this point. And I met him when I had the hookah hideaway. And so as I was telling you, the hookah hideaway was this super little small spot, 12 to 1300, 1300 square feet. Nobody would even have guessed the amount of money that I was making a hookah hideaway because it was so small. 
and that's the difference too you know when you are not already rich you know when you're like the underdog everybody wants you to be successful you know everybody wants to support you now once you're already on top it's just like people are trying to knock you down you know and, and take you off of that throne but um, anyways, long story short, after the hookah hideaway or, or while doing the hookah hideaway, I was probably in like the third year and it was like, hey, okay, I've got this formula down. This is working well. Let's duplicate this. And I want to do another location. And, and looking for another location, I ended up meeting two chains and we decided to do Escobar together. Um, Escobar has by far um, been my most successful business um, to date. And um, that just ended up being a great partnership because um, I had the hospitality experience um, and, you know, was willing to operate and run these these stressful ass restaurants <laughs> um, while he still was <laughs> able to, you know, go out there and be two chains, et cetera. But um, the notoriety that he had on a national worldwide scale um, also attracted, you know, um, a, a, some clientele for us, you know, um, and some publicity, you know, for us that I would not have been able to get on my own. Um, so it ended up just being a good partnership in that aspect. You know, we've gone on to actually open four restaurants together that we currently have. So we've got two Escobar locations. Um, we do have members only that we're actually uh, members only is currently closed and under renovation. We're actually renovating that and turning that into Esco Pizza. Um, and then we have a concept called Esco Seafood. Um, and so uh, we have, you know, been able to open up four restaurants, you know, over the past six years. Um, and we recently just franchised, uh, we just franchised um, Escobar as well. So um, and working with somebody like Two Change, you know, it just was a no-brainer because he could bring something to the table that I could not at the time, and it was that star power. Um, when if you were going to like, if you're talking to somebody who has always had a passion for opening up a restaurant and they don't even know where to start, what would be the advice you'd give them? Don't do it. It's stressful as hell. <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> uh, not really though, but. Uh, you know, I would tell them that, uh, number one, you know, I feel like whenever you're trying to do something that you've never done before, you should go out and get a mentor. Um, you know, everybody has a course these days. And as you mentioned, you know, I've got my DHG University credit repair. Um, I also have, you know, my Salon Suite Master course. You know, you mentioned, you know, Remedy. Um, that's a spy Salon Suite, you know, brand that I've established. I've got three different locations. I've recently franchised that as well um, and have already sold, you know, a franchise location. Crazy right now. Um, whenever you're looking to get into something, you know, that you've never gotten in, never done before, um, you know, you need to do some research. Otherwise, you're going to get into it and you're going to end up wasting a lot of money um, and probably getting taken advantage of when it comes to the restaurant and hospitality industry because, you know, your money goes through so many hands before it actually touches yours and hits your bank account. So um, I, I one thing I say is a lot of restaurant doors get closed by the staff, you know, stealing, giving away stuff. Um, and it's not just the bartenders and servers, it's some of your, your managers and, and management staff as well. So um, I would recommend for somebody that's looking to get into this industry to start off with a mentor, uh, maybe take a restaurant um, ownership course, 
uh, do your research before deciding which course to take. Uh, but those are some of the things that I would advise, you know, um, so that you can know exactly what it is that you're getting into. Um, there's a lot of things to do this do these days. I primarily push my salon suites because the restaurant industry, I started off working, you know, 70, 80 hours a week. You know, people don't want to do that shit these days, you know. And why should you when there's other things that you can get into and make good money as well, have peace, not have to worry about every single person in the building stealing from you, um, and still make good money, you know what I mean? But but have, you know, a business that will allow you to have semi-absentee ownership. And in the restaurant mm -hmm. industry, you will never have that. That's interesting. Uh, no, it's good advice for people because I, I think that <clears throat> it's it's an industry that's always been difficult to to, to succeed at. But I, I just know you've done it. You've killed it. But it's interesting to say, like, even like, you know, you've killed it. Like, maybe it's not like the best possible industry to go into right now because right. of the, the amount of moving parts that you have to figure out. Well, also right now, too, you know, post-COVID uh, pandemic, it's yeah. different now, you know. Um, labor shortages, food shortages, yeah. so food costs is through the roof. You know, it's hard to find good people um, that want to be in this this industry right now. You know, we're in the era of the, the great resignation era. So um, it, it's, it's definitely a little bit more difficult than it's been in the past for sure. So, okay. So what, so I want to do a couple of rapid fire to close this out, but before we pivot, like what's, what's next for you? So like, when do you want to double down on restaurants? You have Escobar, you're franchising, but it's difficult. So where do you want to take your, you know, your entrepreneurial spirit that you've used in the past to start all these different brands and franchises and companies? What do you want to do in the future? Uh, you know, a few different things, man. You know, you mentioned it, the franchising. So I still want to be in the restaurant industry, but I want to help others open up their own restaurants and kind of consult, consult them um, and help them be successful and obtain some of the success that I've had. So um, definitely want to do that by way of franchising, uh, selling franchises, you know, via Escobar, um, as well as, you know, my Remedy brand. I plan on expanding that more because that's a more of a hands-off uh, industry, you know, where I don't have to, it, it's simple, it's easy, you know, so I want to, um, expand that further. And then, um, I'm a venture capitalist. I invest a lot. Um, so I'm in highly invested, not only in the stock market, but <clears throat> I do a lot of investing in, in pre IPO funds. So like, you know, Turo, Airbnb, all of these companies prior to going public. So, um, stuff like that is fun and interesting to me because you can make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Uh, in doing that. And then, you know, I recently got married. So congratulations, uh, focusing on my marriage good. <laughs> um, and, you know, having more kids yeah. and, uh, you know, helping, helping my wife, you know, to, uh, you know, achieve some of her career goals. Do you uh, like now that you've built that this empire, um, do you find that what makes like what, you know, like when you make the money, it's great. But now, like when you're married and you want to have like a larger family, stuff like that, priorities change. So how do you manage that as an entrepreneur? It does. It does. It, it, it totally changes. You know, for me now, it's not about as much as it is the dollar and cents. You know, I'm not necessarily interested in, in trading as much time for money these days because, you know, um, you know, I do have something to come home to now. You know, before it would be like I'm working all day, staying out yeah. all night, you know, because, um, you know, I didn't have that piece. So, um, now that I do, things have definitely changed a lot. Um, my goals and, and my priorities have shifted for sure. 
Um, I'll just do a couple of rapid fire, but most importantly, before I go into the rapid fire, just pull some like last insights out of you. Uh, where do you want people to go? Where's the social? Where's the website? Where do you want to send people? Sure. Uh, they can see me on Instagram at who is Snoop. Uh, my website with my full story, um, as well as some videos of me telling my story, who is Snoop.com. And then my salon suite master course, an A to Z guide on to how to enter, how to get into the salon suite industry and open up your own salon suite business is at www.salonsuitemastercourse.com. Beautiful. Okay. Uh, you've had a great career, super successful, but what keeps you up at night right now? You know, I'm, I'm always looking for the next thing. I'm always looking for the next thing to get into what I want to invest in. I forgot to mention that uh, me and my mom, we're looking to open up a home health care agency. Nice. So, you know, research keeps me up at night, you know, looking for uh how i'm going to you know make that next dollar in a different industry than what i'm in you know to to, to continue to bring in multiple streams of in revenue and create generational wealth biggest challenge you've had to overcome in your personal life what was it how'd you overcome it what'd you learn from it uh biggest challenge in my personal life um probably getting pregnant with my daughter so young um she actually spent four years in foster care um uh, and it's something that, you know, I'm still working through and, and trying to get past. Uh, now, now, now that now you have the you have the money, you ha now you focus on the family. That's where the time goes. I think that's smart. I think that's smart. That's the goal, yep. right? That's the dream. Sure. Um, sure. If you had to pick one person, there's been many, but pick one person who's had a major impact on your life. Who's that person? What they teach you? Um, I would say my mother, you know, because she just, you know, uh, through all the ups and downs, you know, the, the many phases, many personalities I've had, you know, throughout my life, she's never left my side um, and always been super supportive. If you had to pick a book or podcast, something that's been really impactful for you that you'd recommend somebody go check out? Man, earn your leisure. <laughs> um, I'm actually featured on one of their episodes, but um, I just think those guys do a really good job of um, interviewing all different types of people um, and showing and people so many different ways you know to make money and um you know different ways to get into entrepreneurship i actually love their show they're, they're a good show <laughs> they're a very good show <laughs> yeah. um if you yeah. had to tell your 20 year old self one thing what would it be keep pushing you're gonna end up being a millionaire do not give up and then last question what does success mean to you you know success to me means um, not having to worry about finances, um, living a, a stress, a, a, a life that's as less stressful as possible and being able to do what I want to do on a daily basis. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, 
one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs, no more servers, no more updates, just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much, Indeed, for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 